A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. With a massive move to distributed data architecture, it's essential to have access to all of your data wherever it is. A data mesh emphasizes domain-driven data ownership, data as a product, self-service infrastructure, and federated computational governance, giving you faster time to value without needing to transport your data. Starburst allows you to achieve this distributed architecture by allowing you to run SQL queries across distributed data that connect sources, regions, and clouds. For more information on how your team can benefit from a data mesh strategy, check out our data mesh resource center on our website. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to learn about and hear about in this episode? I interviewed Jessica Kerr, more widely known as Jessatron, who is a principal developer advocate at Honeycomb IO, or as many affectionately refer to her, the empress of software. You're going to enjoy this one, I bet. I asked Jessatron to be on because she had a tweet I loved calling Data Mesh conscious design for unexpected use. I thought that was an amazing summation of it, especially when you think about kind of producer-aligned or, or primary data products. And the second part was the three most common questions I get about uh, data mesh are, one, how to do data discovery, two, how to do domain-driven design for data, and three, how to get application developers to freaking give us their data. Obviously, I don't love the framing on the third question, but it's a pain point, and she knows application developers incredibly well, having been one for 20-plus years. Jessatron started off by discussing one of the biggest issues with application development today. Despite the tooling and process advancements of the last 20 years, it's all somehow only made application development that much harder. You have to understand so many more aspects of the application development than people had to 10, 15 years ago. So the starting advice is don't just add more to application developers' plates. It probably won't go well. Her, her biggest point, I think, was giving application developers agency in how they share their data. I think that's the key. Autonomy, as she puts it, is, is kind of BS. 
It's just passing the responsibility over without the help. Basically, here, you do this. I don't want to take care of it. Application developers want guidance or, or direction, especially to the target outcome, but they want to make the choices on how to achieve the target outcome while being given the resources to do so. In general, they want others to have influence, but not control. The information and capability to do their job is key. Work with them to give them both in spades. We haven't done this historically around data, so figuring out how to do that is not necessarily an easy, easy task, but you do have to think about just giving them the the responsibility to do this without the resources, the information, the capability to do it. It's, it's just not going to work very well. For driving buy-in, don't start with the ask, but start with the why. Let them know why their data is available and be specific, as in your data is used this way by these teams to power X and Y and Z. The conversation should be about their potential impact, not just the negative of you changed this and it broke you know, X or Y or Z, but the aspirational side of here's what we could build if we had this data, or here's how your data could really improve the organization. You want them to start thinking about how can you work together to enable them to share their data in a high context, highly meaningful way. Data Mesh is going to be a big cultural shift for application developers. You need to not just put something high priority on the backlog. You need to give them the space, meaning that they have enough points or whatever on their backlog to actually do this, but to really understand and learn how to share their data well. You have to focus on teaching them how, possibly via an internal hackathon to start building that muscle or even like a cross-functional pair programming like initiative to show other ways uh, to show each other your, your ways of working and share knowledge. So really, again, what, what I'm saying here is you need to teach them what they have to learn and give them the, the time to actually learn. You can't just say you need to start doing this and here's some resources, but not change up the, the way that the team is working or change up the, the KPIs or whatever for the team. They need the time and space to learn something new. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Also, show them the impact they're having along the way as they get going. That will motivate them to do even more. Be very conscious of language. The interview with Odin and Gjoran at NAV talked about this a lot. Application developers and data people don't speak the same language. Work with them to put what you're trying to do into their language. In general, Jessitron, aka the Empress of Software, has some really great insights in this fun conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. Quick editor's note that uh, all of the previous information should be attributed to uh, Jessitron and the conversation that we had, and that it's not just my conclusions from it, but a lot of it, or pretty much all of it, is from directly the conversation with Jessitron and her points that she made. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Okay, super, super excited about this episode. We have the empress of software, uh, <laughs> Jessatron here. Uh, uh, Jessica Kerr is also the principal developer advocate at Honeycomb IO, um, but uh, I'll be referring to her as Jessatron, which is her online handle. It's my unique ID. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's kind of how she's We have five Jessicas at Honeycomb now. We have more Jessicas than Mike's. Wow. Right? For a software company. I went to one company and I'd never worked closely with another guy named Scott. And then we had an office of eight people in San Jose and three of us were named Scott. Like, this, <laughs> this is, this one's a little weird. Like th- th- that's not the, the best. Statistics, man. It's going to happen sometime. Yeah. Oh yeah. The whole like uh, multiple people in the room having the same birthday. Is mm-hmm. just a bit, yeah. Like, so, um, but uh, on the, the topic that we're going to be talking about today as um uh, Jestron is the is a principal dev- developer advocate. She understands the developer mindset, and so very excited to kind of one of the the key things that is blocking a lot of people is trying to essentially extract the data out of the developers. Which I think from a lot of the uh, other episodes that we've had would kind of be a through line of don't do this, of try to extract instead of try to enable them so that they can share their data and make it a a part of their workflow, make it part of their role, but also give them the resources to actually do that, whether that's additional heads or tooling or yes to both. So um, uh, if you don't mind, maybe we should start with a little bit of a background and introduction to yourself, and then we can kind of go through this very, very large topic where where we'll just kind of bounce around and just uh, hopefully share some jokes as well. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm Jessica Tron. I've been a developer for 20 years, been speaking at conferences for the last eight or so, and I've become more and more fascinated by software development over the course of my career, because you would think after 20 years, something would get easier, but it has not. It's only gotten harder and more interesting. And and some of that is a good bit of it is really the industry. Um we keep we keep taking something that's that's hard or at least hard in terms of um effort and time and making it easy, uh, starting with compilers. Instead of writing machine instructions, you can write something that more expresses what you need and and then we keep we keep layering on top of that with higher level languages, and then we add infrastructure in it, and we've got tools like Kubernetes that extract over the or, or abstract over the hardware, and um, and this this just gives us different problems, right? Very much so. <laughs> and so first we had the problem of not enough data, and then we have the problem of way too much data, and now we're like, can we get the right data? And that's a much harder problem than either. <laughs> And, and at the right time, in the right format, in front of the right people, in front of the mm-hmm. structured in the right, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we keep um, solving our formerly hard problems and uh, finding the next one, which is really exciting. It, it, it's one of those things where when people are like, oh, the machines are going to take over, you know, coding, it's like, <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, the real software developers laugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because there's so much manual work that goes into manual, like, uh, different every time kind of work that goes into keeping software running. 
Yeah. And, and just, and being able to understand that complexity and, and that it's like, okay, when is it different this time? And when isn't it different this time? Right. Right. So like in software, I wonder if the word manual will go from meaning, uh, meaning repetitive, meaning labor to meaning custom, different every time, bespoke. Because mm. that's something only a human can do. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. I'll have to think on that one. It could happen. Yeah. So um, the one of the big things that, I, again, I, as I mentioned, people keep running up across is when they're looking to implement data mesh, the conversation between of of it coming from the data side and going to the application developer, the domain side and saying, hey, we need you to participate. We need you to give your data in this way. It's kind of framed in that way and it hasn't been um, going that well for a lot of folks. So how, how do you start to think about if someone were to come with and speak with you about hey, we're looking to use this data, like, what do you think is uh, an initial good way to start that conversation? Not even to, to get everybody on the same page, but is it about sharing oh. how it's used? Or is it about, hey, we're, we're, we're going to support you in this first and foremost, and that we're not just mm. asking you, we're not throwing things on your backlog? I would start with you have something valuable. The, the developer who writes the application, the application owns the data that you want to be able to use in other circumstances. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so the developer uh, has at least access or, or through the software uh, has some control over where this data flows. Um, and they might not realize how valuable that is to the organization and new ways that they can add value to the business uh, by providing the data in a meaningful way. Um, and, And the meaningful is, to me, this is the essence of data mesh is providing data that's meaningful, like as a product that, um, conveys what the data really is and how to use it well, as opposed to, I used the phrase earlier, extract the data out of the developers, which they will do if they're if there's a JIRA ticket for it and they're told their job is closing JIRA tickets. But then you're going to have to tell them exactly what you want. And what you really want is understanding. And you want the data to the, the data and the way it's uh, offered to you to express that understanding, right? Yeah, it's it's having that conversation back and forth of, hey, here's what I think you have. Here's, here's where we're trying to get, like, yeah. how do we bridge that gap? And, and to, to pop up to a higher level, I, I, f- I forgot to mention why uh, I asked uh, Jess Tron to be on with, she, she put out uh, a tweet that I think expressed the way that of data as a product thinking better than, than any way I've seen it, which was just, uh, I think it was, uh, what was it? conscientious design for unexpected use or, or mm. something like that. I think that was what it was, was that it Plausible. was or conscious design or something like that of that you're thinking through 
how you would share your data and to share that meaning. So, you yeah. know, when you're when you're talking with developers, as you mentioned, you know, developers are now having to do more and more and more things. So if yeah, you start true. to throw, you now have to to serve out your data to people as well on their plate. Like, if if someone were to come to you and say, "I, I need you to share your your data," you know, t- explaining why it can be useful, but like, what tooling do you think? Is Tool. there or or do you is that not even the right way, right? Because you, you uh, is it that that it's not tooling, it's not work. It should it be workflows? Should it be just platform or or should it be blueprints or like how do you think about working with those the domains to make this easy, an easy transition that it's not you need to share this thing in the most complicated way right up um, front. Okay, yeah, we want we want to give them the abilities. Uh, to solve the problem that we set for them, but we want to set for them an additional problem of in in addition to keeping this data secure and consistent for the use of the application, we also want to offer it up in a way that's useful to the business in ways that we can't predict. So not just exactly one way, probably. Um, it's, It's not meet these specific requirements. It's broader than that. It's meet these needs, which is way more difficult, but also way more interesting. So we want more than uh, a piece of action from from the developers. We want some mind share. We want them to be thinking about an additional product, um, an internal data product. And, And like, for instance, when the meaning of the data changes later in the course of development work, um, we've added a new feature and now uh, people can restore deleted records, so we're not going to really delete them. Uh, their their entries say we're going to mark them as deleted. Well, that's a piece of data that you'll want if you're retrieving entries that I just made up. Um, and and so the developer who uh, who's implementing that that new don't really delete, just mark deleted feature, um, you want them to think about the the data that they're offering to the business internally and recognize that this is going to have an impact there. Um, so it's, it's not a one-time action that you want. Uh, for this data to continue to be meaningful, it needs to it needs to belong to the team. Um, the, and you, you've used the, the word the domain side a couple times. And I, I like the focus on the domain here because what I want an application developer to have, and as an application, what I want is that understanding of the domain which means I know what the data means, which is a culture shift for a lot of teams. (laughs) Because if you've got teams that are used to being told what to do, this field is called this, pass it from here to there. Um, I mean, this is, this is very common because people are just asked to, to, to close your tickets and not to understand, and they're not given the opportunity to understand the data. Um, uh, but what I want as a developer is to know what I'm doing. This helps with security. You can actually validate your data if you understand what it's for and what the meaning of it is. And it's totally necessary to be able to uh, publish a data product, um, to put it out there into the data mesh in a meaningful way. Uh, and that's what I want to ask of developers. Now, whether their manager asks that of them or encourages it or gives them the ability, like the contact with business people, um, the 
the feedback of like what's really happening in production, for instance, um, if developers don't have those abilities, it's not their fault. And you're just going to have to tell them what to output and get it in their uh, their backlog and negotiate with, pro- with whoever um, assigns the backlog. That's one way a lot of companies work, like a lot. Um, if you do have a team that really owns the the application and the domain and um, the the bounded context of what they're building, then then you've got to give them the opportunity to create more value. And if you can show them what providing this data will do for the business and give them visibility into that, then you can get buy-in and they can say, oh, you, you asked for this, but you probably also want to know whether it's been deleted or maybe you want us to exclude those. Let me know. Um, yeah, because you're not asking for the bytes. You're asking for something, um, something more, something that uh, and a developer of, of an application hopefully gets the chance to really understand what they're building and share that with you. And how it might be used and, and that of, of that back and forth conversation, I think. Oh, yeah. And what customers really do with it. Right. I mean, maybe there's this like description field that if developers have visibility in a production, they might notice that the length of the description is either zero or it's 200 and some. <laughs> and you can get an idea of like what customers are really doing. Um, and uh, an and, and app developer who has that kind of that visibility and that feedback loop um, can provide you a lot more insight on what it is you're asking for. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a common through line of um, we just I had a, an interview with a couple of people from ThoughtWorks, Junlo Sato and Andrew Harmel Law on domain driven design for data. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> Danilo at the end just said, hey, just get people to talk to each other. <laughs> Because uh, talking to each other is the important part, and talking to each other, being conscious of language. Ooh, ooh! I heard something really interesting yesterday. A friend of mine who's doing some software work for a bank said, "And then they want the domain-driven design so that an external account means the same thing everywhere across the business." And I'm like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! You know, do you know that you just expressed the opposite of domain-driven design?" Right. And they were like, "Well, that's what they call it." Oh God! Well, you know, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> like agile, a word has reached its peak, like DevOps, when people use it to mean the opposite of what it originally meant. That's happening <laughs> in certain places with data mesh, like of of uh-huh. people going, "Oh yeah, we're we're doing a, a data mesh, so we're we're creating a, a centralized uh, data warehouse." It's like what? Like that's the, no, that's. Um, yeah, it's... no, that's a data net and you're caught in it. <laughs> um, yeah, that part of talking to each other when, when we, when we come from different domains from different, which is just different modules in the software usually. Um, and we talk to each other about a piece of data. The assumption needs to be, we're not talking about the same thing when we use the same name until we establish what each of us means by customer ID entry deleted. I like that. I think that's a helpful initial tip as well as to, to go in 
when you're kind of getting people in the same room of to go, hey, we don't talk the same language. We need to. We need to be on the same page. So we're gonna we're gonna work together to get there. And it's not you, application developer, have to speak in our language, but also we're not going to necessarily understand your language as is. So like let's <laughs> let's we back just need up to be and, explicit. And, we can use yeah. both languages when we need to, but namespace stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is the accounts team ex customer ID, and this is the uh, diary team customer ID. I don't know. Yeah, I've talked about um, some places are 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 having five underscore names where it's this word, this word, this word, this word, this word, and people are like, "Oh, that's Under so Cougar awful." Falcon bird. Well, but but it, it's helpful, right? Like, yeah. it, it yeah, really it's real. It, it, yeah, it, and um, what was it like? I think it was like one of the old SQL servers. You could only have like sixty-four characters in your name. We don't in, in the name of a, a column or something like that. Anything oh, else? Back but, in the day. Yeah. yeah, we're not in that world anymore. So and, let's, and we're let's, not typing this stuff into our command line SQL clients either. Well, okay, so not so often. Usually we're using tools without a complete. And if we are typing, there's cut and paste. Yeah. <laughs> that does work in my terminal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, so I was talking to Eric Evans the other day, speaking of DDD. And um, we, we came to the conclusion that there's a, a particular value in acronyms. In acronyms where you started with a term like an external account uh, customer ID. And then it, you use that. You've got a real term that means a very specific thing within a bounded context, within a piece of software. Um, it's not generic. This is referring to a particular abstraction in the software, not to a physical thing in the outside world. Um, and and that gets shortened into EXCID, and that gets shortened into EXID, or whatever. I just made that up, but um, and then an EXID is a thing within your company. And on one hand, it's like, oh, acronyms. Why can't we just call it customer ID? Because customer ID is not specific. Customer ID is like a it's a common noun. It's a lowercase thing um, that people think of as. Or like it's customer, it definitely is a lowercase noun. Um, it, it's it's something general. Um, whereas an exit is something very specific. It's a proper noun, like Scott. Um, and well, actually, in this case, not like Scott or Jessica, which is too inspecific. <laughs> it's like uh, Scott Herleman or Jessitron. It refers to a specific abstraction within a specific context, and that's better. Yes, it takes people a long time to learn them when they come in, but at least it's signaling. You don't know what we're talking about <laughs> with all the TLAs. And put documentation <laughs> in so so you have empathy for those people who have to learn it, right? That you, yeah. you have that. Yeah, yeah I, but don't not use them because you really are talking about that specific thing and not about... Um, about some generic customer that someone might think they understand what they mean, but they're from a different team. So no, they're talking about, yes, okay, there's a there's like a connection between the customer and the external account team and the customer and the, what was I using, diaries team. 
um, there's a connection maybe in the outside world to the same person, but they're not this, they're not going to have the same data. Um, and, and we need to think about them differently. I worked at a place that used the, um, like the whole kind of wrapping around a, a customer was a customer container. And then we also used Kubernetes. And so just talking about containers, mm. everyone just was like, oh, oh no. which container do you mean? Like which oh, type no. of container? And yeah, it, it just made everything very, very difficult. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked even that you said like cut and paste or, or auto finish. Like I know some places that their security doesn't allow for cut and paste and they don't have that finish, oh. that auto finish. And so it's like, don't do that. Like these, these are having empathy for for folks as to uh, how they're yeah, actually going to use this. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, there's a difference between preventing people from doing things wrong and helping them do it right. And it's, it, oh yeah, like those password fields that you can't paste into. Thanks, my password is now garbage. Yeah. You yeah, broke I, it. I, well, yeah, <laughs> I used something rather insecure because I could remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and what we were talking earlier about... Um, the, the point is that we want the, the data that is offered by the domain teams to be useful. Um, we want it to fit with other data in the company, not be identical to, but have clear relationships to. Can you connect a customer ID over here to a customer ID over here? Yes. Um, if they're this, referring to the same person, they will have the same customer ID, maybe. Probably not. They each have their different ones, and there's a different field in there that is like, uh, um, referring to some other generalized ID. Um, but uh, can you correlate these? And what is the relationship and how do you how do you navigate that? And maybe there's always going to be customers in each system that aren't in the other. And uh, what, yeah, so we want the uh, meaning in, encased in that data to be accessible to people, to be friendly to humans. Um, and sometimes that means really long names. And do you think when we're thinking about making that data accessible, um, in a lot of ways, sometimes uh, developers are asked to get a little too, I don't know if cute is the right word, that kind of sometimes feels derogatory, but around like trying to create uh, too much normalization or abstractions oh, or yes. all that, where... You're I think we love push. doing that. <laughs> it's a fun, interesting challenge, right? But oh yeah, normalization of database schemas is so entertaining. <laughs> but stitching it back together when you actually want to share the what actually happened, like how mm. how would you go about actually working with a, a team to do that? You know, I, mm. I talked with with somebody this week that was um, it's a data platform team, and and what they've said is. Uh, you absolutely should have somebody, at least one person on your data platform team that is focused on like actual developer application platform. Because if you're okay. trying to make it self-serve okay, this is the, the tooling that makes it easy. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because you are going to want it to be like compatible. Um, you don't want like, well, I, I offered you some data using SOAP. And then the other team is like, here you go. You can call this with Corba. Um, to pick two that you definitely don't want. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so so give, making it easy for them 
to do the right thing and then leaving them with the much more important problem of like um, expressing the data meaningfully. Yeah. And, and understanding their workflows. That's what, like if, if, Mm -hmm. if it's data people trying to expose how to do data to application developers. Oh my gosh. Talk about different languages. Yeah. What you, you don't love YAML? Is, is that oh you, you, you don't have like a YAML tattoo or something where it's like, I love YAML? <laughs> I prefer QR codes. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know they're inscrutable and you need tools to read them. Yeah. Uh, the, the number of times, you know, dealing with the Apache Cassandra stuff, that's like, I think there's. I think they cut it down, but at one point there were like 400 YAML choices. And it's like, oh, these like 265 you should never touch. It's like, why are they there? It's like, oh, Oh, well, they were in there. And so it fails if it doesn't have them, but. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's for computers to to mess with. Um, Right. So so I, I agree with you on, yeah, a data platform. Um, to make make like a nice happy path for the mechanics of exposing that data, um, and then and then you need to get the developers on board with it and give they need ownership of it, right? So that they'll keep it current. Uh, I think my my last real blog post was about uh, don't t- if if you want people's like uh, help, um, don't just tell them what to do get them involved in the decision, and then they'll like actively contribute and help you. Uh, but that means you may not get exactly what you planned on them giving you. Yeah. You may get something better. You may get something that's that's equivalent, but they feel buy-in and that's worthwhile. Yeah. I, I, I think that, or also that you, a lot of people are trying to, to start with, their most pernicious, their most difficult problem first, right? Really? Of, and, and that's that's a, a very very bad anti pattern for data mesh because oh oh because okay, you have so. to build the muscle, right? You have oh. to to get people in the habit. So like that's where I'm trying to figure out how like what workflows you might model after to say okay this can help people. This can help application developers to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's it's different for every organization, oh, every that's person. That's a very but... good point. Okay, because sometimes you take on uh, an end, a goal, uh, not for what it gives you. Maybe you already have this information in another place. Um, but if you ask the developers, what would be easy for you to provide? And they're like, well, we could tell you how many diary entries each person is making every day. Um, and that would just like, fit with the way their data works now. Um, great. Make a little dashboard for that. Uh, because even if that activity itself would be low priority, um, it has the effect of teaching them how to put out their data, of, of um, integrating that as part of what they produce part of, of what they um, garden and maintain and provide the uh, capabilities they provide to the business and then, and then expand. Yeah, exactly. And and like, I think there's this kind of 
perception from the data side that application engineers have no idea about data modeling, which I don't think is true at all. It's true of some and not others. I mean, back when I started, design basically meant data modeling. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I think I think there's aspects of it in, in everything they do, but is there is there one is there like something that you're seeing now that would you think could provide a gentle path, right? You know, you talk about mm-hmm. the happy path, which is developers, at least most people that talk about developers say they want to be able to achieve things, right? So, um, and, and learning new things is not a bad thing for most developers. Most developers are really excited to do that, that that's, that's part of, of the job and that it's, it's interesting if it helps them tackle new challenges. If, if, if not ruined by externalities, yeah. <laughs> so like, is there something that you, you could see as being a kind of a happy path to learning about how to do data modeling? Is there, is there a framework or is there something that's, that you've seen Some out there? People do internal hackathons for this. Okay. You know, like the internal hackathon of, Hey, uh, here's this tool, which team can, can use it to produce some cute little dashboard that other people in the company find entertaining or useful or uh, cute. Um, <laughs> that could be a start. Yeah. Okay. I, I just know. didn't know if there was uh, like, if there was a framework that felt like it was, it kind of forced you to do a little bit more data modeling than, oh. than others that it might oh. not be as popular, but that. Yeah. Some of them totally do. Elm for instance. Um, really makes me think about the the modeling of state hmm. um uh whereas you need to do all of, of that in react but react will will let you get away with being mushy about it for longer um hmm. and, but react is way more strict about it than say vanilla javascript where it just turns into a pile of scare um uh, uh right so like writing code in elm really helps me Write React, for instance. Interesting. Um, as far as data modeling, man, I don't know. I learned it by writing uh, create table statements, and so should they. <laughs> not like literally, but um, it, it is surprising how we've abstracted away SQL in a lot of cases and how incredibly useful it is to be like intimately familiar with SQL and explain, analyze, and... This has been an issue for me that I I see is a lot of people on the data side, again, are saying, oh, we should just expose DBT to the the application developers. And it's like, they they may not... what's DBT? DBT is like a thing for transformations and you just write SQL and it kind of creates your transformation pipelines and stuff. So it's very, very, very popular on the Mm, data side. But like... Yes, as, as somebody who's intimately familiar with application engineers saying, what is DBT? Right. That should be something that people realize that that is not See, like... we speak different languages. The to- the the like worlds that we live in are entirely different because a, a, an engineer's for us, application engineer's world is built on React maybe, and then JavaScript, and then the browser, or... Uh, Node or Java, the the languages, the the web frameworks, Spring if you're in Java, Express if you're in Node, uh, these are our world 
that we build things in. Um, these are the like the the physics that we use. Um, and maybe we get down into SQL sometimes because we store things in a relational database. Uh, or not. Maybe it's Dynamo. Who knows? Um, but then, yeah, on the data side, you have a completely different tool set. Um, on on the, the application side, like at Honeycomb, our, our purpose is to give uh, application engineers visibility into what's going on in production. And they can set that up for themselves with tracing um, and then look at our graphs. Y'all have your own ways of looking at at graphs and um, and the, that we don't even use. So, um, man, like it would be fascinating to uh, to pair on stuff and just see each other's worlds. The IDE versus uh, DBT <laughs> and the other tools that data engineers use that I don't. I kind of like that idea of pair programming completely across. Um, worlds where, where yeah. like you yeah, can have yeah. like a shadow program of, Hey, I'm going to walk people through this. And, and, you know, it might be one data uh, engineer with like five application engineers on the same one. So it's not one-to-one just because there tends to be far more application developers mm-hmm. and engineers than, than uh, the data engineering folks. But like, here is how I would take this and express this. Here's how I do this. Here's, here's the manual bits that suck. And so we want to make sure we don't expose these manual bits that suck to you, but we want to expose the power of how to accomplish the goal. Like, and then, and then the, we can, they can start to show, okay, and here's how we're thinking about this workflow. Like give us that live feedback of, you know, yay or boo. And just the, you know, okay, you expose the SQL and it's, you know, five thumbs down instead of like, working in, in my own language, in my own space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So probably the best way to establish this, um, these shared goals and, and how are we going to talk about this stuff together? And what do I really mean when I say this is to sit down and do some active work together, pair program or uh, ensemble programming with more people. Um, and can you, can you accomplish a thing together and let each, um, each, uh, what do I want to say? I want to say side, but I don't want to make it about sides. Let each um, a denizen of different tool worlds show the others what their life is like. And that, that those aspects and just like that understanding, build that build that context rather than put it on somebody's backlog, right? Like right, if you just right. put it on backlog, you don't have that context that comes mm. with. Yeah, you've got to sit together. And and experience each other's uh, little universes because we do work in different worlds because we run different programs on our computers, and Lord knows the screen is our world these days. And I I talked to uh, somebody this week, uh, the, the folks at Nav, and they said um, what they're starting with. I'd like to get just your your feedback and not you know if if you hate it, you know, that's totally fine. If you love it, that's great too. But what they're asking is to say, hey, here's what we're trying to, to accomplish here. Can you please go out and, and do this? And then what we're going to do is see how you do this and then automate your work. So we're not even starting with, mm. we're not even starting with, here's the platform to do this. It's like, hey, we're going to start with something that's more of a lightweight task for this. But like, let's automate every, like, level of complexity that we go down. So it might be that you're just 
creating a table or a view, a very lightweight table or view of data that you're going to be pushing out, that you're not doing anything with heavy transforms, you're not doing anything kind of crazy. And then they're watching how they're, the application engineers are doing it and then saying, hey, we're going to create the platform to automate this for you. We're, we're going to watch your workflow, the way you think about this, and then we're going to build the tools to make it so that you can just do that that work in in the way that adds the value and not adds the toil, but that it's part of your workflow, that it matches your workflow instead of exposing you know, data engineering tools to, to developers. Mm. Um, uh, the activity of doing that itself will have a lot of value for the people engaged in the activity. The automations themselves, you might consider throwing away. Um, you will gain a lot of insight from that activity. Um, I, I have a talk about this principles of collaborative automation. Um, but there are, there are, dangers to, um, if you automate the simple stuff, then when the hard stuff comes up, people get even more stuck by it. I haven't, I hadn't thought about it that way. That's on the other hand, the activity of automating something drastically deepens your understanding of it. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's, they're trying to create, I don't know if it's necessarily fully automation versus it's the platform to enable them to do it. Right. And so building out that platform to help the application engineers to do what they need to do. I don't know that it's necessarily automation, automation versus like it's, it's drastically reducing the amount of toil or is it, should we be putting. Right. You do want to automate away toil and stuff. Um, be sure you don't do this with just one team, um, yeah. work with several of them because they're all going to be different and uh, leave leave plenty of escape hatches. I mean, you can make people a, a paved path of this is how another team did it, and these are the the what we have that makes it easy. Um, that I've seen I've seen in some companies where the central team makes a library, and you should darn well use their library for this because that's how we do it here. And then that library doesn't do everything that you need, and uh, you maybe you just sit there and <laughs> and don't accomplish what you wanted. More likely, you work around it, uh, but it's incredibly painful. Um, automation can hold you back in that way too. Yeah, yeah I'm a huge fan of automation, also of developers automating their own work, uh, but developers automating the work of other developers is just way harder than it seems. So, so think about your ROI on doing this work, and or, yeah, no, yeah, but also think about the side effects. What does this teach you? What what version of you exists because you did this work, and that might be one who can design libraries that are not frameworks, um, that are useful, uh, or, or sometimes it's just it's just uh, documentation. In the end, you wind up. This is the example that you can cut and paste from, and that winds up being your, your reduction of toil. Um, here's a template kind of thing. It's not in YAML. <laughs> so sometimes there's stuff like that that's low tech but high knowledge. And sometimes you learn about that by trying to automate stuff. I like that low tech but high knowledge. I think that that knowledge share, um, you kind of talked about it as to people sharing their context. How is this used? How is this, 
Like it's just the more that you can put knowledge in front of people so then they can make decisions instead of putting tickets in front of them, putting, I want you to do right. this versus here's where we're trying to go. Can you please help me get there? Like that, that yeah. let's go together yeah. uh, type yeah. of attitude. And, and to be fair, developers need space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't always have it. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I talk about not putting additional responsibilities uh, without putting additional resources. That's a dot, 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 not nice move. I, I typically yeah. use a different word when I'm not on the podcast, but. <laughs> developers might be, developers might be totally cool with learning things, but also that's not their job as stated. Yeah. That's not in their OKRs or whatever. Um, or they, or their contractors, they're not supposed to learn things on the job or specifically they're not supposed to like be trained. There's all kinds of weird, uh, weird incentives that happen. And I don't want people to feel bad if they're not sitting there. Oh my God, I can't wait to learn something today (laughs) in their day-to-day work. Well, and that's another aspect of, of data mesh, I think is it has to have enough buy-in at the manager level uh-huh. to actually yeah, really does. put this on people's like plates and that this, that they're able to allocate the time to it. And it's not right. just, they feel bad because they're not helping out their fellow employees, but they, they don't have the capability to. And the same thing, I talk about this with tooling too, of application engineers have to change their application. They have to evolve their schema. Uh-huh. If uh-huh. they don't know what that's going to break downstream, uh-huh they can't have the empathy for it because otherwise they're stuck. They're, they're in analysis paralysis because they say, I don't know what this is going to break. I have right. no, I, I have no way to test what this is going to break. Right. So yep. I just kind of yep. have to break it. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. Or do nothing. Um, right. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing that I, it's why I care about observability is because that's another way that you might be able to figure out what's going to happen. And who your data is connected to. Have, have you seen even like in a, a testing side of, you know, somebody's doing their, their development or, you know, um, on the, uh, I guess, development platform instead of the prod version or, or whatever, that there is even, uh, okay, this is going to actually create this from a data perspective and there's any test there. Have you seen anybody... Like doing that, or oh, like is that integration testing, sort of. But like when you're actually before you deploy, right? Oh, before you deploy. Um, generally, I've seen before deploy. If you integrate with other things, it's like in a, a dev environment that everyone else is also integrating with other things, and so everything is chaos and nothing works. And if something breaks, you're like, ah, it's probably just dev. It's always down. Yep. That's that's kind of what I thought. It's like I don't know how we can get there. I don't know if we have good tooling to. Get I, I have. I mean, there are some places where um, you can run. Uh, the, the, okay, so the alternative to that is test in prod, <laughs> um, one way or another. Either you're connecting to prod, or I mean, some places have a, a, a QA environment that they think is sufficiently realistic. It's not. Um, uh, but the thing is, if you can make it safe to test in prod, if there's a mode of, or feature flags that none of this data gets saved. Uh, it just flows and then it gets dropped right before the database, for instance. Um, I have heard of at least 
places that do that. Um, uh, a Stripe, um, they're this isn't internal, it's it's external. The Stripe test API runs through Stripe production, but with a little test attribute so that it doesn't actually go to any payment processors hmm. at the other end. Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking of that integration testing on the data side as well. Like, like mm-hmm. uh, how could you actually do, how can a developer know, oh, if I make this change, it's going to break things unless there's, there's frameworks right. to make that easy and that they don't have to manually test everything. Right. Unless they're working with real data and they can run it either excluding test, test records or um, in, in real production or not excluding test records and then look at them. Yeah. Um, hmm. If you have feature flags are huge for this. Also, you have to be able to turn stuff on for a specific set of users for you, but not the public kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, no, I've never seen a realistic dev environment where people can really test things and find out whether they're going to break. You can find out whether some things break. You can find some, and some of those will actually matter, and some of them won't. Um, <laughs> but usually you'll spend a lot of your time trying to get things to work at all so that you can hope that it might work in production. Um, yeah. So I, I have two questions that, that I'd like to, to wrap up on. So, I mean, if you only want to do one, great, but, uh, you, you know, choose the order. But um, one, what do you think is the thing that that if you give to developers, is, is it autonomy? Is it help? Is it tooling agency. or whatever? It's that, agency. Okay. Agency includes both uh, a, a goal that you can reach and the abilities to reach that goal. Um, and so you, you, you let them choose, help them, give me direction, give me information, but let me choose my direction. Um, and then give me what I need in order to be able to move. Um, so there is autonomy in that to some degree it's not aloneness though it's it's input it's influence not control people don't have control over their own lives but we need to influence them um, you know so i'm going to decide on my priorities for the month with my manager i'm not going to hear my priorities and i'm not going to just make them up um <laughs> we're going to collaborate on this influence not control uh yeah so so it's it's I like the term agency a lot better than autonomy. Autonomy is you figure it out. Autonomous teams are, pff, we can't get our stuff together. You figure it out. And we're going to be generous and blame the team instead of the individual. That's our big, I mean, okay, that is progress, but it's still just dumping the problem on a smaller unit of the organization when in, when really our, our organizational design needs to give people the information they need to choose a good direction and the uh, capabilities that they need to move in it. I really like that. I think that's uh, very, very uh, apt and pithy. Um, and then the, the second one was about, so there's a lot of talk within data mesh about maybe data engineers kind of go away, you know, there's the data platform developers, but are those necessarily data engineers or or are they data engineers and application engineers, or are they just software platform engineers? And that then the, because the application developers are now doing data, that they all just become software engineers. And everybody is just a software engineer instead of 
this specialization. Uh, and and I, I think you're from, from if I can read facial expressions, you're as skeptical of this concept as, as I am. Oh, well, there's the first part, there's titles and I don't care. Right. <laughs> whatever makes people happy um, and whatever gives them the influence that they need. Um, a, a title is part of that ability to do your job sometimes. Um, uh, as far as like, I, I do think we the blurring the lines is really good. Um, if, if people cross over from, um, one area of relative specialization to the other is excellent. Um, but it's the same thing with a full stack developer. What is the full stack? And do you really expect people to be an expert in react and, uh, MySQL performance? Uh, because you better pay them a lot if that's what you're looking for and everything in between. Unless you again provide them the capability, and but then again you're just abstracting, abstracting, abstracting away. Then 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 they don't really know exactly what's going on or what they're doing. So when they do hit those hard problems, they don't. Know. I think that's right. What you're right. We can't know that- everything. We can't know everything. There is a limit. Um, Cesar Hidalgo in his book Why Information Grows calls it a person bite. That the the maximum amount of information you can of knowledge you can cram into one person's head it doesn't matter how much it is or whether yours is bigger. What matters is that it's finite, and that's why we have teams, um, which which adds overhead but increases the maximum amount of knowledge we can have on the team. And we talked earlier about like opportunities to learn. What gaps does the team have? Uh, you can hire into some of those, but also, uh, can you choose to take on? Um, problems that will develop those skills. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I also, I worry about the everyone as a generalist approach <sighs> um, because I also worry about that for um, junior engineers. I, I think that having to come in mm-hmm. as a generalist for a junior is much harder than having oh my specialization. And so, I yeah, mean- you, yeah. You can only get good at so many things at a time. And I want to get good at the domain. Yeah. That's unique to every uh, team. And and to me, it's also especially worrying around like DEI and stuff like that, where it's like we, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's been a lot of pressure for underrepresented folks and they kind of, a lot of times get shoved out from the industry or, or kind of, so we need to be able to do that to evolve as an industry of yeah. software. And that, that like it, it kind of frustrates me that we're, we're not thinking about how we actually set ourselves up to be a more equitable yeah. society and yeah. industry and all that stuff. And if we're just trying to make everybody generalists, it, it's like, I, I, you know what? I want to be a software engineer who can speak data engineer. Or a data engineer who can speak software engineer. And if we work together enough to know each other's language and be able to have a a conversation that's accurate, that's the level of generality that we need. Yeah, I think I think that's I think you're spot on on that. I'm glad that we're on the same page because that 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 one's been a little bit worrying to me of how many Mm. people and, and a lot of times it is the people who have learned so many things because they've been in so many different roles and so they are able to be that that generalist and their person bite is much larger than my person bite and so it's like you may be able to do this but yeah but what really matters is being able to talk to people 
who yeah. could do that. And and my grandmother used to say, know enough about a topic to have a conversation with people who are interested in it. Yeah. And then every time you do have that conversation, you learn a little more. It's fun. Well, th- this has been so phenomenal. I think this will help a lot of people on figuring out how to interface with application developers and engineers. I think a lot of it is is going in with the, hey, yes, we're going to ask you to do additional things, but we're going to provide you with uh, the information and the capability to do mm-hmm. this, right? And that we're and that capability, yeah. and we're going to work with you. Some, some of that we're going to provide you the capabilities is I'm on your team for the next two two weeks while we work on this. And, and that we're also going to give you the space is another capability, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to give you the, mm-hmm. the time on your yep. backlog. And <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's important. So, um, so uh, the Empress of Software, where, where can people <laughs> find you? Do you prefer uh, Twitter or LinkedIn? Um, yeah. or- Jessitron on Twitter. I exist on LinkedIn, but I won't answer your messages. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, or justatron at gmail, justatron at honeycomb.io. In fact, if you go to like honeycomb.io slash office dash hours, you can sign up and have a chat. Awesome. Yeah, and I think talking about observability in the data space and how there's overlap and, and things like that, I think is, is interesting as well of, of, you know, data observability as a space that's very, very um, kind of exploding, but I think there should be more of, of kind of talking to people like yourself that have been. Yeah. And, and data engineers have a lot to add on the software engineering side, as far as observability, because y'all have an analytical mindset. Mm Mm-hmm. And and software engineering starts out with a grab the logs mindset, and that's different. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's been great talking to you, Scott. You as well. Uh, thank you so much for the time. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Jessica Kerr, aka Jessicatron, who's the principal developer advocate at Honeycomb IO. She'd mentioned a few different things. Um, including her contact information, which is all linked in the show notes, as well as a book and a couple of a presentation, a blog post that she had done. So please do check those out as well. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. 
and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.